This is the seventh message and our last message. If you turn to Luke 4, 16 through 21. Today we're going to read these verses for our hearing. We haven't read all of them since the first message, but we will read them today. And as you're turning there, I read of this great cathedral that housed a statue of Jesus in it. But when you walked in and you saw this statue, you would find yourself disgusted and disappointed in the representation of Jesus through this statue. You'd wonder even if this is what Jesus looked like while you're standing looking at this statue. But there's an inscription on the statue. And as you move closer to read the inscription, it says, kneel down and look up. When you kneel down and looked up, everything about this statue was different. What was repulsive became something that was attractive. The difference wasn't so much the statue. The difference is your position when you look at the statue. If you stand up and look at it, there's no beauty in it. But when you kneel down and look up, then you see the face of a gentle, loving Savior. <laughs> I don't know how things were with you. But before I come to know Jesus as my Savior, when I stood and looked at what the preachers were preaching, when I stood and heard what people would say, if I stood and read the Bible, I saw him one way. But there was a day when he came by, sat down beside me, and shared with me who he was. And when I knelt down and looked up, he looked completely different. When I see him today, I see him as a loving and a gentle Savior. I don't know about you. I hope when you see Jesus today, not because of, of what you grew up to hear, not because of, of what you hear from the pulpit, not because of what you've read in the Bible, but because you've knelt down before him, because you've looked up to him, for he was the only thing that could help you found a gentle and a loving Savior. You know, the last several weeks we've been in this series and that tells us about Jesus. And this series really stemmed from the song that was sang today. Just it, it was able to prick hearts and minds. And as we began looking at this and thinking about my Jesus, this passage became very clear. And I began thinking about the I am statements. And as I thought about those I am statements and, and looked at this passage, I could see where each one fit. And today, we want to take another look into the into this passage 
Now here we've looked at six different phrases. And today we will close the book on this series. The Bible tells us in verses 16 through 21. So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place from where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in our hearing. God, we come before you today to thank you, to praise you for what you've already done in our lives. To thank you, to praise you for your gifts that you've given each one. To thank you and to praise you for how you bless this local congregation. And God, we, we give honor and glory to you. We magnify the name of your son. God, as we are closing out this message, I pray that you'll speak to each heart that is here today. God, you hide me behind the cross and you preach to your people. And God, everything that's accomplished will give you praise for it all. And if there's one here who doesn't know my Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them today and today that they'd call out to you. And God, we know you're faithful. You'll forgive them of their sin. You'll cleanse them from all unrighteousness. So, God, we are looking to you. We're trusting you with all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. So, as we do look here in this text today, we, we realize Jesus has grown popular in his teachings in the synagogue in Galilee. He leaves Galilee, comes to his hometown, Nazareth. And as was the custom on the Sabbath day, he went into the temple. And as he went into the temple, he was invited to read the scriptures. His name had just gone out and he was invited to read. They handed him the scriptures of Isaiah and he went to Isaiah 61. Now understand the scriptures, the original manuscripts, what Jesus was given was not laid out in chapters and verses like your Bible and like my Bible. 
It was, it was a reading. It was just what Isaiah had said. You know, Jesus is the very word of God. He's the word made flesh. He knew exactly what time it was, and he knew exactly where he was at, and he knew exactly who was in attendance, and he knew exactly what it was time to tell them. So Jesus opened the scriptures, and he read these verses that we have here. Standing, he read to them, and then he closed the book, handed it over, and sat down. And with all eyes fixed on him, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, when he said this, the Jews there in Nazareth that's in this synagogue, they would have heard Jesus saying something to them, something like, well, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. And because he has anointed me, I am your Messiah. And he has sent me here to preach the gospel to the poor, being your true path to eternity. He has sent me here to heal the brokenhearted, being your true comforter. He has sent me here to proclaim liberty to the captives, being your true access to liberty he has sent me to recover sight of the blind being your true leader he has sent me to set at liberty those who are who are oppressed being your true light he has sent me to proclaim the acceptable year of the lord i am your provision this is what they had heard jesus say to them in other words jesus is announcing i am I am everything that you've been looking for. But there's something else about this text that we really need to open up today. Jesus was reading from Isaiah 61. And the Bible says he closed the book. Now Jesus stopped reading. But if you'll look with me in Isaiah 61, you'll see this phrase that Jesus says before closing the book. In verse 2, he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. If you look there in that verse, what you'll find is interesting is where Jesus stopped reading. He didn't stop at the end of the sentence. Now, you English teachers will get this. He didn't stop at a period. He stopped at a comma. The comma is used to separate two clauses in a sentence. And when we read a comma, we don't stop at the comma. We pause. <laughs> We, we pause in this reading. So Jesus comes to a pause and he closed the book. We're living in the pause. You know what Jesus does? He says, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed it. You know where we're living in the acceptable year of the Lord. 
from that moment until Jesus comes back, we're living in the acceptable year of the Lord. We're living in the dispensation of the church age. We're living at a time when we can see Jesus for who he is to us. He'll be our comforter. He'll be our director. He'll be our light. He'll be our guide. He'll be everything that we need him to be. And Jesus is saying, look at me. Right now is the acceptable year of the Lord. Right now I am right here with you. Right now you can put your hands on me. You can taste me. You can look at me. But right now is the time of God. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, right now you'll see me as you see me. I'll be everything. Here he tells us in, in, in verse in chapter 4 in Luke's gospel, he tells us right here in verse 18 and 19 that I'll be whatever you need me to be right now. That's who I am. Right now in this age, we're living in a time of a pause, a time when Jesus is saying that You can experience my goodness, my love, my gentleness, my grace, my mercy, my kindness, my long-suffering, and my faithfulness. Right now, you can experience it because you're living in the pause. You're living in the acceptable year of the Lord. That next phrase in Isaiah 61 and 2 says... Jesus is telling them that he came also to proclaim the day of vengeance of God. Those two phrases are two powerful phrases and they have opposite meanings. And here he is saying it's the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, he's saying you won't see the vengeance of God right now. We haven't seen the vengeance of God yet. We're living in the acceptable year of the Lord. What Jesus is saying is, right now I am all of these things, but when I come back, I'm going to be the true king. Jesus is telling them, I am the true king. He is our true king. Whether he's being gracious and loving or whether he's being vengeful. He is our true king. The Bible helps us to see this in this passage. And I want us to understand that we need to have an assurance. Of the true king. And, and we. I want us to make no mistake today. That God in heaven loves us. He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, Jesus left the splendor of heaven. He came to this sin-cursed world, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin Mary. And and he lived a sinless life, proven to be the true king. At his birth, wise men, they came from the east and they went to Bethlehem. And where he was born in a stable, they bore gifts to him and asking, where is he who was born king of the Jews? He is the true king. Standing before Pontius Pilate, Jesus was asked, are you the king of the Jews? And his reply is, it is as you say. He is the true king. Standing while they were mocking him, they twisted a crown of thorns. They pressed it on his head, gave it to him to carry 
uh, gave him to carry a scepter, a scepter. They bowed down before him while mocking him. And when they crucified him, they hung a sign above his head that read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. But what they weren't expecting was what happened next. The moment Jesus died, the veil in the temple tore from top to bottom. The earth quaked. The rocks split. Graves were open. Bodies were raised. And then the centurion soldier knelt down and said, truly, this is the son of God. Folks, Jesus is the true king. You know, Israel had many kings. Some were great kings. Some were good kings some were poor kings just let's be honest some were just terrible they're just terrible kings king david comes to mind when we think of a great king who served israel and he served israel righteously david wanted god's presence um to uh, in the midst of God's people and the ark of God symbolized God's presence for over 60 years the ark of God had been had been in an independent place it had been in a private home in, in, in Gilba but David sent out to bring the ark of God to, to Jerusalem the capital of Israel and not only did he bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem but he led the people in worshiping God David didn't just serve righteously, but David also sacrificed much in his serving. David sent word, or God sent word to David that he would build God a home. And David was a man, but David was a man of war, and he was a man who had shed much blood, and God would not allow him to build the temple. But what David did was sacrifice greatly, and he gave everything that this lavish temple needed. When Solomon became king, Solomon had everything at his hands to build the temple that God would have but what was interesting about Solomon was how he wanted to serve the people how he was willing to sacrifice for the people and as a matter of fact the Bible tells us that when when King Solomon took over for David that the Lord appeared to Solomon after he was named king and asked him what shall I give you in first Kings 3 and 9 Solomon said give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. Solomon understood that he wasn't in control of his people. Instead, he was king in a time over God's people. Uh, you know one thing I've come to understand? This isn't my church. This is a place I get to serve. And Solomon understood that he was serving God and he was serving the people and he wanted to serve the people the way God would have him to serve them. And for that, he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for fame. But God gave it to him. God gave him the, all the riches and fame that he could have wanted. For in verse 19, in verse 13, he says, I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings. All your days. Solomon was a great king. David was a great king. But they weren't the king. They weren't the true king. Only Jesus is the true king. Our sinless 
Savior, Jesus Christ, died on an old rugged cross to sacri- as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave, and not only did he arise from the grave, but he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And we can be assured that he is the true king. What does this really mean for us today? It means that we have a king like no other king. He is a true king. And he today is alive and well. The true king came to earth not to be served, but he came to serve us. Matthew 20, 28 says that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is our true king. He didn't only serve us, but he sacrificed for us. Folks, he left the splendor of heaven and he come to this certain cursed world at his birth he had there was no room for him in the end and he was born in a stable wrapped in swaddling clothes and they used a feeding trough to feed him uh, or to lay him while foxes have holes and, and birds have nests the true king served people without a place to lay his head the true king shed his blood he gave his life for the sin of the world and his sacrifice was sufficient to provide forgiveness for all sin the true king is the, indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if we will believe in Jesus, believe that he is God's only begotten son, and will confess him as our Lord and Savior, then we will not perish. The true king will give us a true path to eternity and be everything we need him to be. Folks, we can have the assurance today. That my Jesus, <laughs> he is the true king. But having the assurance of that is not enough. We must have an awareness of the true king. While in this series, God's shown us a relationship between what Jesus says here in Luke 4. And the I am statements we found in the gospel of John. So for these next few moments, I want us to just think about what Jesus says in John 15. The very last I am statement, Jesus opens up verse 1 by saying, I am the true vine. Somewhere between the last supper... In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was walking with his disciples and was prompted to say, I am the true vine. So it's possible that immediately following this statement, the disciples began to think of Isaiah 5. Israel was, in Isaiah 5, we find that Israel was a vine that God had planted in Canaan. A vine on a fruitful hill, protected by a fence. But Israel was a vine that brought forth wild grapes. Instead of good grapes. So it was a vine that had to be torn down. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And if we abide in him and you, then you will be faithful and your life will show the fruit of the spirit. Your words will magnify the name of Jesus. Your work will glorify our God in heaven and we will be able to ask what we will and it will be given to us. So we must also be aware if we are or if we are not abiding in the true vine. 
God is the husbandman of the true vine, and he's going to cut away the branches that are unfruitful. He's not going to just cut them away. He's going to gather them, and he's going to cast them into a fire. (laughs) Well, this is an example of what we've seen in that last phrase of Isaiah 61 and 2. If you remember, I said earlier that Jesus stopped reading and closed the book at the comma. I said the comma brings us to a pause in the sentence, not the end of the sentence. And we are living in this pause where one day the pause is going to come to an end. And the phrase that Jesus didn't read will come to pass. One day he will come to proclaim the day of the vengeance of our Lord. This tells us that Jesus is not like any other king. He is the true king because he's coming back at his return. And, you know, he's not just coming back once. He's coming back twice. The first time at his return in Acts 1 and 11, it tells us that he's going to come back in like manner in which he ascended away from the, the uh, disciples. Uh, he will rapture the church. The apostle Paul says it this way in, in 1 Thessalonians. He says he will descend with a shout from heaven and, and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and, there, and those who are alive will be called up with them in the, to meet the Lord in the air and will always be with the Lord. This will signify that the pause is now over. The church age comes to an end. This dispensation of time in which we're living in will no longer exist. The Holy Spirit will not dwell with man as he dwells with man now. He will dwell with man in a different way. In other words, he will fall upon man and then he will move on. He will come upon them. They may do great things, but then he's going to move on. It's not going to be where he abides with us and lives with us and walks with us and talks with us and leads us and guides us just like the day. It's coming to an end. The day of the vengeance of our God is coming. And we must be aware that it's coming. And Jesus is the true king. We must be aware We must be aware of whether we abide in him. We must be connected to the true vine. You know, on his second return, Jesus will not return as the Lamb of God. Instead, he's going to return as the lion out of the tribe of Judah. He is the king. He is our true king. In Revelation 19, 11, uh, John said, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat upon it was called faithful and true. He's our true king. In verse 12, it tells us that his eyes were aflame as fire and his head were of many crowns. He is our true king. In verse 16, it tells us that on his thigh was written king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is our true king. Folks, Jesus is the true king and he's coming back. So I need to ask, are you abiding in him? 
when he comes the second time, he's going to put an end to Satan's power and influence in this world. The Bible says Satan will be cast into a lake of fire and brimstone and shall be tormented day and night forever. But that's not all. The Bible also says that, that whoever is not found written in the book of life, whoever is not abiding in him will also be cast in the lake of fire. When Jesus comes back, he will judge sin. So we must be aware, are we abiding in him? Jesus said, meaning in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? But he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. In other words, there will be those who learn to quote scripture. Some who could even have an intelligent conversation about God, but they were not abiding with the true king. There will be those who were faithful, faithful in attending church, faithful in giving to the church, faithful in support of the ministry of the church, but they were not abiding with the true king. And because they were not abiding with the true king, they were not aware that they were not in a true relationship with him. And they were cut off, gathered, and cast into a fire for all eternity. I don't know. I don't know what the burn of that fire will feel like. What I know is it'll never end. But that's not the worst of it. We'll be separated from a holy God for all eternity. We'll hear Every gospel message that's been shared in our presence. And you will hear every opportunity that you had to escape the vengeance of our God. In that time. The fire will never be quenched. The torment and agony will reign forever. But we won't have the presence of our God. Evil all around us. The foolishness of man who says that, well, me and my friends, we're going to rule hell. have no idea what you're saying hell was not created for man hell was created for Satan but those who follow him will abide with him for all eternity folks I want to tell us we need to know we must be aware 
that we are abiding in Jesus. If you are aware that you are not abiding with the true king, there's good news. <laughs> there's good news. Now is the acceptable year of the Lord. <laughs> now we are in the church age. And now, if you would kneel down and look up, <laughs> you can know Jesus as a gracious, merciful, loving, kind, and gentle Savior. But if you wait too late, you will know him as a righteous judge. You will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So I want to ask you today. <laughs> are you going to kneel down today? Look up to him and say, and see a gentle and loving Savior. Or are you going to stand in this world on your own? And take the chance of meeting Jesus face to face. While he's a righteous judge. The choice is yours. God loves us so much. That now. Is the acceptable year of the Lord. He loves us so much. That while there's nothing to prevent his coming. He's tarrying so that someone. Can escape. The day of the vengeance of our God. Today, do you want to escape that vengeance? Or are you willing to take a chance on yourself? He is the true king. You can't win coming against him. But with him, you can already have victory. Aren't you glad that you're saved? Those of you who are saved, aren't you glad to know that right now you have victory? You don't have to worry about the day of the vengeance of our God. We're living here in the acceptable year of the Lord. We've received Jesus as our Savior. And now we're just waiting to where he comes and receives us unto himself. But if you're hearing you don't know Jesus, I wouldn't take the chance of looking at him and trying to stand face to face. It won't happen. You will bow down. You will confess him as Lord. <laughs> but you may also hear him say, depart from me. Don't take the chance today as they come to sing the song of invitation. Why gamble on something you don't have to gamble with? Well, preacher, you just don't know where I'm at. I don't need to know where you're at. God knows exactly where you're at. And he's giving you an opportunity right now to come to his son and make him your Lord and Savior. He loves you even in the midst of your sin greater than you could ever imagine because he sent his son to die for you so that you could hear him say well done good and faithful servant
It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. He had casted his way as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't matter what you had planned for this afternoon. He had changed your want to's. It don't matter if you feel that I can't live it. You, you can't live it, but he'll live it through you. So would you come today? Will you come and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He is the true king. Will you make him king of your life?